0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking specifically at verse 5, but also in light of the context, so we'll bring in verses 1 through 4 but I want to read the entirety or a little broader context, and so we'll begin at verse 1, and we will go all the way to verse 11. You have some notes in your bulletins, and you'll find that helpful as we uh, unpack this passage. You'll notice that there's probably a few more notes in there than Hopefully it doesn't look too confusing to you. You have to remember that I earn my living as a teacher, and so um, sometimes this is the way my sermon notes come out. And so if you feel like you're in a classroom this morning, um, well, you've just been transported to one of our classrooms. So thank you for indulging me in that. But let's go to God's Word. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Hear God's Word and receive Uh, this word in faith, receive it with a believing heart. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, There ends the reading of God's Word. May He also add His blessing to it. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open in front of you as we give our attention to this text this morning. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I've often thought that there is one particular sin that underlies all other sin, and I used to think it was pride. But in recent times, I've come to a different conclusion. There's one sin that is so central, so foundational, that it affects our life in every way. A sin that is so much a part of us that it touches the very core of our being. And it is a sin that is so powerful that it destroys our marriages, breaks down our families, wreaks havoc in our communities, infects politics, downgrades the economy. All of these hang on one sin that is at the heart of all the others. What is that sin? Look at Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry. That's the sin. That does all that damage. And I suspect when we hear the word idolatry, we think of the Old Testament where they had the bales and the asterisks. We think of those shrines where people have these golden images such as Nebuchadnezzar had built and you had to bow down to them. And that's what we tend to think of as idolatry. But do you see what he says is Idolatry. He says, which is idolatry? What is he describing? The last one on the list there, which particularly is covetousness. Now, covetousness is simply a desire that has gone haywire. And I've attached this, you see, to our sermon title, Christian wisdom for today's technology. We live in a digital age, and I'm not suggesting that by the end of the sermon, you all trash your cell phone. That's not my conclusion. That's not my intent. What I want us to understand is the power of that instrument that we have in our pocket The power that we have on the screen, the digital age in which we live, and to understand what is so pertinent for the Christian to understand because these devices are designed for addictive behavior, and addictive behavior is related to, one word, desire. I met... One of my students, or actually a former student, in prison this past week, or actually it was two weeks ago, and he said to me, 283 days. I said, 283 days, is that how long before you get out? No, it turns out what he had in mind was, it's 283 days that he has been clean of drugs. What I've come to realize, congregation, is that these addictive behaviors are so life-embracing. I meet men in prison frequently. They'll tell me, for the first time in my life, or, or they'll say something like this, for the first time in 20 years, I've been clean. And I'm thinking, 20 years? You don't look much older than 20. So I'll ask, how old are you? Thirty-two? You do the math. Another guy, how long you been clean? I've been, I've been clean now for the first time in 30 years. How old are you? Forty-one. They started a habit and an addiction at ages 11, 12, 13, 14. And some of them started it just as an experimentation. Some friends said, hey, you ought to try this. It feels good. Others, because of hardships in their life, start medicating themselves, and they're simply trying to escape the realities of life. But it comes down to desire. Desire. And I believe... That there's enough evidence now that our digital media, particularly those little phones that you hold in your pocket, carry in your purse, are designed for the same addictive behavior that men who are strung out on drugs for 20, 30, 40 years and just can't break the habit. Is technology mastering you, or are you the master of your own technology? So Christian wisdom for today's technology really boils down to two two remedies. Actually, one is identifying the problem. The second one is the solution. First of all, we need to identify our idols identify our idols. It says here that covetousness is idolatry. You see, when a desire becomes a demand, it is an idol. That's in your notes. When a desire becomes a demand, it is an idol. Think about what a desire is. A desire says, I want And that in itself is not wrong. God has designed us to have desires. He's he's given us desires for food. He's given us desires for thirst, so that we want something to drink. And if it were not for those desires, I suspect that we would end up getting um, dehydrated more often than we do. We would probably have to go to the hospital more often because we're malnourished, because we just didn't feel like eating. Think about how busy our schedules are. We get so busy, we hardly have time to stop for gas. And it's like, oh, my car's almost out of gas. I got to stop. But isn't that what we do when we feel the desire for food? We long for food, and God has built that into us so that we keep moving, and I suspect it's these same desires that help us to build our families and to continue in generations going on, right? He's given these, these desires, so the desire itself is not wrong. The problem is when the desire goes from, I want, to the demand that says, I must have it, You know how it goes in your home, right? We got any boys and girls here who like to play Legos? In my day, it was Lincoln Logs. But you're playing with a friend, and he's building this, and you're building this, and there's one piece that you really need for the foundation of it, but there's not enough for both of you have it. So what happens? I want that piece to build my Lego set. But guess what? He wants it too. And now what happens? I want it, and I see that he's about ready to take it, and now my want turns into, I must have that peace. Or how about in the home? Any parents out there like to have obedient children, right? You tell them the first time, will you do this? Will you do that? And they don't do it right away. Or they don't do it all the way. Is it wrong to desire to have obedient children? No, but what happens when I turn that into a demand? I must have obedient children. Or What about maybe some of you men, you come home from work and you are starving, hungry, and you come in and you're expecting to step in the door, slide at the kitchen table, and now, how come supper's not ready? Is it wrong to desire to eat when you get home? No. But what happens when that desire now turns into, I must have? Or maybe it's at your workstation. station. My boss never appreciates anything that I do. It's always critical. Is it wrong to desire your boss to have appreciation for the work that you've done? Absolutely not. But what happens when that desire turns into a demand and says, I must have appreciation? Maybe some of you teenagers say, you know what? My parents just don't understand. They don't listen to me. Now, is it wrong to desire parents who sit down and listen to you and want to know what's going on, da 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 But what happens when you say, it now is something that I must have? And we can go on and on, but you see what happens. When a desire turns into a demand, it now becomes an idol. And the next thing on your outline, what do idols demand? Idols always demand service and sacrifice. You see, we tend to think idols are are immaterial things, so we can put them off in a corner. We bow down to them when we want to, but we don't have to. No, the idols, when they are the idols of the heart, the desires that we have, the, the desires that have now turned into demands, which are idols, now what happens when I'm playing Legos with my buddy? My demand says, I must have. And now there are only two responses because your idol says there's one way that you must respond in order to get what you want, and that is grab it before your buddy can grab it. And, and if he grabs it first, yank it away from him if you need to. But let's suppose he's bigger, stronger than you, and you can't get it. Then your idol says, if you can't get what you want, if you can't get what I demand, then you throw a temper tantrum and you just have a meltdown. You see what we're talking about? The idol says either you sin to get what you want or you sin if you don't get what you want. And this isn't only true of kids. It's also true of parents. I want obedient children. What happens if I don't get that? I must have Well, if they don't obey, then I will force them to obey, and I will raise my voice, I will use my size, my wisdom, my power, and I will force them to do what they ought to do. And if they still don't, then I'm just going to be moody all day long because my kids are not obedient. That's idolatry, you see. Or for the husband who comes home and he says, I want to eat, and it's not ready. I must eat. And so, if it's not going to be ready on time, he doesn't get what he wants. His idol says, you must then give your wife the cold shoulder. Be bitter. Or, in order to get what you want, the idol says, you just go to the restaurant down the street and go eat by yourself and say, I'm going out by myself tonight. I will punish my family because I will get what I want. Or what about in the workplace? That boss that's unappreciative. Well, what I will do is I'll simply, um, I'll simply manipulate the situation to get the credits that I desire to have. Or if I can't get it, I will just serve him with poor performance if he's always critical. I'll simply live up to his expectations and I won't do my best. Do you see what's going on here? It's the idol of the heart that says, I must be served. Or the idol says, I will be served. And you give it to them either by sinning to get what you want or sinning if you don't get what you want. Teenagers. What about in your relationship with your parents? They aren't giving you the curfew that you desire to have. And now you say, I must have it. What does the idol say? Here's how you can get what you want. Lie to your parents. Don't tell them all the details. Tell them that you had a flat tire. Tell them that your muffler belt went out. I know there's not a muffler bell. Or if you can't get what you want, then you will be uncooperative at home. You see how this goes. Idolatry always requires service and sacrifice. Do you see then, congregation? And this is the next thing on your outline. Idols, idols cause gross harm. Gross is a little an acronym here. How does it harm? It harms in the sense that the G stands for God. God is replaced. So that now, instead of wanting to honor God with my life and putting God first in my life, and instead of seeking first the kingdom of Christ and and his righteousness, now what do I do? I put myself in the place of God, and I will seek my own desires, my own wants, and my own demands. I will serve my own idols. God is displaced. we could also say that god is harmed in terms of our witness or our testimony now the testimony before the world what happens i'm driving down the road and instead, and this car is going way too slow for me and he, if he would simply move over into the next lane i could get by And if my want turns into a demand, my desire turns into a demand in order to get what I want, I lay on the horn and I let that driver know that he's doing the wrong thing and better move over. And if the driver doesn't, then what happens when he finally does move over, you go and you swerve in front of him and you cut him off. I'll show you. Now what has happened? My witness before God has been impacted, affected, ruined. What else is impacted? It does harm to our relationships. Relationships break down. If you think of the examples that I've given to you, right, whether it be in the home between children, children and their parents, parents and their children, in the workplace, These relationships now break down because we have sinned against each other. The O of GROW stands for others. Others are affected by our trouble, the trouble that we make, and we create temptations. Because when I try to grab that Lego piece away from my friend, they are now being tempted to fight back with the idols of their heart. And you get the idea, don't you? And the S, there's only one S, but the S stands for the self. Self gets hardened. And we continue to bow down to this idol. Now I've given you a little homework assignment there. You see three, little, three columns. What is your idol? Is your idol something along the lines of the Legos? You want something that your friend wants. Is your idol perhaps... Some kind of performance that you want out of your children or children out of your parents or, or husband from your wife or wife from your husband. Is there something that you want from them in terms of the way that they treat you? Is it within the workplace where there is something that you want that is turned into a demand? What idols have you identified even now as we've been talking about? And then, what is being sacrificed What are you willing to give up in order to get what you want? What are you willing to do to meet the demands of the idol? And then trace it out. What harm is being done? What's being damaged? How is God being replaced? How are your relationships being affected? How is it that others are being impacted and being tempted and given trouble? How is it that you, in a sense, are becoming hardened? Take it home. Because the first step is to identify our idols. Now, I had mentioned earlier that we need to think about this in terms of technology. Technology. You get these constant notifications. Sometimes these notifications draw attention to our heart. And it shows us that we have this fear of missing out. I wonder who's texting me now. I'm wondering what they want. I'm wondering what they're going to say. What's the desire? The desire is I don't want to miss out. Whether it's on social media. I posted something this morning. Has anybody liked it? What is their response? What are they saying about it? Or maybe it's a a notification from a new app. I wonder what they're offering now. Or maybe it's a gaming app reminding you of of the need to return to the game, complete the task, participate in the events, engage with the other players. And then, of course, there's all of these different rewards that they build in like an addictive behavior, similar to gambling. So if you're into the games, what are they promising you? An opportunity to get extra coins or power-ups or special items. And then there are these other uh, other, uh, social media apps where they offer you badges or special features or rewards of some kind. Or there's the online shopping, the daily deals. Or the notification, there's still something left in your shopping cart. Come back, come back, come back. You see how this plays on our desires or the personalization features you realize that as you trace your de- as you carry out your desires on your devices they're watching you they are tracking what items have you looked at on amazon what are you looking at and you'll notice isn't it interesting why are these advertisements coming in my email box I was just thinking about this, because they're tracking. And I don't think they're far away, and I suspect they're already doing this, but with the cameras on your phone, they're able to watch your eyes, so that it's not only what are you clicking on, but what are you looking at? As you're scrolling through, where do you pause? Where do you slow down? And they are simply gauging, what is it that you want? And they keep throwing it at us. You see, one of the issues that a lot of my students deal with who are trying to break the addiction of drugs is getting away from those who are using drugs. And we pick up our technology, and it's always there, 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 there. But what is it doing? It is calling for a response from my desire, my desire, my desire, my desire. And so I click on something on Amazon, and it gives me 10 other things. People who bought this also bought these things. And sometimes that can be helpful, but because it plays on my desire, it says, Oh, I never thought of that, but I'm thinking about it now, and I think I want that. And so it's set up, you see, to grab our attention. And it's not just on Amazon. You get movies from Netflix. What are they doing? We've traced and we've noticed which kind of movies. Here are a dozen or two dozen others just like it. If you like that, you'll like these. On Spotify, you're listening to this? Okay, you'll want to listen to this. And before we know it, we've trucked out all of these things. And sometimes it helps us to find things that are of interest to us. But more often, it's dragging us away by our desire. And what has happened? My covetousness has gone from I want to I must have. And so we need to identify these idols. What about on social media? Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, why do we keep going back? Because if I get a like, it lets me know that I'm somebody. I've been validated. I mean something to somebody. What I had to say actually benefited from somebody or they liked it. Now that means that I am somebody. Is it wrong to be desired, to be appreciated, to be valued? No, but when it goes into, I must have, let me check, let me check, let me check, the desire has turned into a demand and is now an idol. So what's the solution to all of this? The solution is simply this, practice the gospel. I didn't say teach the gospel, preach the gospel, tell the gospel. No, it's practice the gospel. What does that mean? Three things here. First of all, rest in Jesus' sacrifice. Rest in Jesus' sacrifice. Back up with me to Colossians 3, verse 1. Notice what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Why? For this reason. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I do not want to be mastered by this device. Why? I want to be mastered by Jesus Christ. It was his blood that was shed for me. Now, if you rightly identify your idol, now you have something to go to Jesus about and say, Jesus, my idol is when I drive on the road, I want to be first in line. Or if you check your usage and you say, God, I realize now I spent six hours simply scrolling through Facebook this past week. I've now been negligent of other things that I should have been doing. Take your idol to God and say, God, here is my idol. I'm guilty of idolatry. Now you have something that you need to be forgiven for. But I suspect so often we think that that little phone in our pocket is such a harmless little thing. It's really not doing that much trouble. It's just a tool that I use. Of course it's a tool that you use. And I use it. But how much of it is playing on my desires to escape boredom, as I mentioned the other night at our conference? We need to practice the We need to practice the gospel, which means I need to confess not only my idol, but I need to say, God, this is how I have sacrificed to my idol. I have given my idol this much of the time that I should have spent, and you fill in the blank for what's being neglected. And not only that, but you can say, here's how I have harmed my relationship with you. Here's how it's harmed my relationship with my family. Here's how it's harmed me, and I become hardened in it, and I find that I can't can't get away from it. Practice the gospel. Rest in Jesus' sacrifice. Ask for forgiveness. Where our desires have turned into a demand which is now our heart idol. Can you name your idols? If you can't name three idols, then you need to reflect. I've given you room in your notes as you go home to identify three idols that you need to say, God, here are some of the idols of my heart. The second thing of practicing the gospel is this. Repent. Repent in the Spirit's power. Repent in the Spirit's power. Go back to verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... What does it mean to be raised with Christ? Jesus Christ rose out of the dead by the power of the Spirit, entering once again into his dead body, and he walked out of the tomb. And what the Bible is saying is, and it it, it speaks of it here and in other places, it's saying that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that you and I have to control our use of social media so that it does not become an idol of the heart. What do I say to my students who have been addicted to drugs for two or three or four decades? Cry out to God that he would give you the desires of a new heart, desires of a new mind, and walk in that direction. I mentioned earlier this whole habit of, Meeting twice on the Lord's Day, these are habits. Oftentimes it's, it's saying, here's the habit. And though I do not necessarily feel like doing this, I know that this is the habit by which I walk away from my idols. And so I limit my time. Perhaps during my Bible reading, I put my phone in another room. I shut off the ringer so that when I'm doing my Bible reading, I'm not distracted. And you say, but I use my Bible reading. I use my phone for my Bible reading. You might want to go to a paper copy. I know that sounds very old-fashioned. But what do you need to do in order to control your idol? This thing is, is, has, a, has a hold on me. I'm going to pick up the book once again. But we do it in the power of the Spirit. We do it because we have been raised with Christ. You see, congregation, we have more at our fingertips. We have more resources. We have more power at our fingertips than anything that the digital media can give to us. We have access to God, and God is able to empower us by His Spirit to begin to put away some of these addictive behaviors. And I'm not talking just to the young people. I've seen people in their 70s and 80s and 90s, scroll, scroll, scroll. Again, I'm not saying we should throw our phones away. They're here. It's not just our phones. It's our computers. It's digital media everywhere. But are you aware of the temptation to idolatry and the need for us to live in the power of the spirit to set us free? And so ask for the spirits of power uh, for the spirit's power number 1 to replace the idol What is it that that is drawing my attention to? Why is it that I keep wanting to go back to Facebook? Is it my desire to be noticed? Go and read Ephesians chapter 3 and think about being noticed. In Ephesians chapter 3, it talks about we, the church, are actually being noticed by the angels in heaven. And did you know that the angels in heaven are watching and tracing and tracking you? not maybe by their algorithms, but they are watching us because they want to see what the grace of God looks like in the life of an individual. You are already on display, Christian. Angels in heaven are watching you. You just don't get a little ding every time they see the grace of God being manifested in your life. But we are being watched by angels. You can read about it in Ephesians 3. What is your idol? So, replace your idol. Reverse the sacrifice. How are you going to now, instead of serving your idol, how do I serve God in its place? Instead of all those moments, yes, but when I'm standing in line at the grocery store, when I'm waiting for my car to be filled with gas, I only have a few minutes, so it's a good time to just quickly scroll. What if you had a Let me tell you another old, old old-fashioned little thing you could do. Suppose you had a little recipe card. Boys and girls, a recipe card is a card about this big by that big. And suppose you write a Bible verse on it and you say, I'm going to try to commit this Bible verse to memory. And so there, are, there you are, waiting in the, in the line at the grocery store. Instead of pulling out your phone, you say, I'm going to read through my Bible verse about five times. I'll bet you can do that in less than 30 seconds. How long do you stand in line at the grocery store? So not only identify your idol and replace it with God, but now how do I change my sacrifice to the idol to a sacrifice to God? How do I reclaim that time? Oh, but I don't even have my card with me. It would be so inconvenient to have something like that to pull out. Guess what you can do? Wireless. This is ancient technology. You can use this little moment to talk to God in prayer. God, here are the concerns of my life right now. Here are the things that I know is going on. Or as you're waiting in line for whatever, you see somebody who is maybe distressed and you start praying for that person. So replace the sacrifice to the idol and instead serve God. And then reverse the gross, right? How is God going to be affected? How is it going to affect my relationships? How does it affect others? How, do, how does myself being affected? What is going to benefit God, others, and yourself? And the last part of practicing the gospel is to rejoice in the Father's presence. Rejoice in the Father's presence. Notice this in verse 4. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, think about that. How many of us say, the phone is my life? How many of you during the course of the day are either reaching for it or looking for it? it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? What if it were just as natural to say, I need to speak with God in this moment. Where is God in this moment? Where is God in this moment? What would God think about this? What would God think about that? Instead of thinking, what are other people thinking about what I posted? You see what he says? When Christ who is your life appears. Christ is my life. Christ is everything. Christ is everything when I go to the grocery store and try to decide how much money I'm going to spend and where I'm going to spend it. Christ is my life when I am playing games, whether it be online or whether it be with my friends at the kitchen table. Christ is my life when I get together on Friday night and, and, and hang out or when I go to my work on Tuesday morning. Christ is my life. He's the one that I'm serving. I am here for His kingdom. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. One of the great dangers, I believe, of modern technology is it traps us in the right now. It doesn't allow us to look into the future. Christians are um, future-looking people. They look to the finish line. They say, that's where we're going. But the phone says, stop here. Get stuck in the present. What's the app? Be Real. You need to take a picture within the next two minutes to let people know what's going on in your life right now. And the attempt is to not be fake about it like you can sometimes do on Facebook by taking 50 different pictures to get just the right one to present yourself in just the right way. But all of it is trapping us in the present. All that counts right now is now. But the Apostle Paul is saying, no, for the Christian, what counts counts right now is forever. What counts right now is what's coming in the end. What's coming is our King, Jesus Christ, who is reigning right now at the right hand of God. But our King is real. He is reigning. He gives us the resources through the forgiveness of sins, through the power of the Spirit. But he is coming again one day. And then what will we see? Look at what it says in verse 4. Then you also will appear with him in glory. This concept that I find in Paul's writing has transformed my teaching and my preaching. The great temptation of the preacher is to be stuck in the moment and to be thinking, how am I doing Is the congregation nodding off? Are they still with me? That's the temptation of the preacher to think, how am I doing? But Paul sets the preacher free when he says, when you look at the congregation, don't look at now. Think of the day when Jesus Christ comes. And what do I hope to see? I hope to see your faces standing side by side with me. And there comes Jesus Christ. And what do we do? We're here. This is the glory of the moment that we've been waiting for. This is what we have lived our lives for. And at that moment, nobody's going to be checking their phone. No, the heavens are going to be rumbling. The trumpets are going to be sounding. And people are saying, what is this? The Apostle Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Father's presence. We are already in the Father's presence because of Jesus Christ who has ushered us into his presence. But are we rejoicing in that? Or are we so stuck by our idols in the present that we cannot think future? That's the glory of the Christian. And when we start looking future, it begins to transform the present. I can't tell you how eager I am to go to prison every day. A lot of guys are eager to get out. I'm eager to get in. Because when I teach, I sense that I'm bringing something life-transforming to people who are trapped in idolatry. But now they're alive. To see the smile on the man's face when he said, 200 hundred." Eighty three days. How many days out has it been for you that you've been clean from your idol? Identify your idols and practice the gospel. Amen. Father in heaven, we pray that you would indeed give us great clarity about the desires of our heart. We thank you for making us people with desires so that we have a desire to get up in the morning, that we have a desire to eat our food, that we have a desire to drink water, that we have desires that that promote the human race. And yet, Father, we confess that our desires are too often used to serve our own purposes, which really become idols in our lives. We pray, dear God, that we might see our idols for what they are, so that we would confess them before you, and that instead of finding satisfaction in the idols of this world, may we increasingly find satisfaction in you, the God who forgives our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, the God who revives us day by day and moment by moment by your Holy Spirit, and the God who gives to us such a glorious future that it transforms the very present day of life. Lord, hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.